You've Landed on The Substance, a podcast aimed at being biblical, thoughtful, and human. Join us each week as we engage the culture without the culture war. I am your host, Vincent Edwards, joined by my friends and co-hosts, Philip Marinello. Hey, everybody. And Trevor Aiken. Hello. Welcome back, everyone. How y'all feeling? Feeling Y'all ready to get into it? Yeah, dude. Got some major tech issues solved today. I mean, glad we got that under the belt. (laughs) We're good to go. Yeah, we're good to go. So uh, we want to say welcome back to any of you and all of you who have been listening and rocking with us for a while. Welcome back. And to those of you who are new, welcome. The Substance is a Christian variety show. Um, Each week we talk for about an hour about something or things related to Christianity, culture, and the arts. Um, Sometimes we have really great guests like Karen Swallow Pryor, uh, Barnabas Piper, Justin Gibney, Robert P. Jones, Keena Aragon. Um, And other times we just chop it up amongst ourselves. Um, and typically at the end of this episode and every episode, we do some shout outs, um, either ourselves or our guests of things we find enjoyable and edifying. Um, so welcome to the show. And as you saw, when you clicked on this one, we have back in the house, Woo! Kyle Strobel, a professor of spiritual theology at Biola University and author of this awesome book that we're talking about today, where prayers become real. How honesty with God transform your soul. Welcome back, Kyle. Hey guys, good to be with you. Glad, uh, glad we're able to get this together here. <laughs> yeah, it was it was touch and go a little bit there, but yeah, we figured it out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the joke we made earlier is that uh, Kyle is on sabbatical now, and we're very grateful he joined us on sabbatical. But it appeared there for about a half an hour, so his browser was on sabbatical too. So glad uh, <laughs> glad we were able to make this reunion here work. It, it wasn't until I acknowledged the providence of God that things started working. So maybe there's uh, something in that. <laughs> <laughs> so Kyle, before we jump into this here, thank you again for your time and for sending us all a copy of the book. That doesn't always happen. Yeah, it's nice yeah, that we got, that really all three nice. of us got a single copy, especially now that we're not all in the same area in Kansas City and can sit down together. But um, how's it been the last, I don't know, you were on in the mid-60s, I believe. How's uh, the last several months uh, been for you? It's been good. You know, so, uh, being on sabbatical, this is my first sabbatical. Oh, wow. And it's weird. Yeah. Because, you know, for a professor to be on sabbatical, it's like, you guys should rest and get as much done as possible. So make sure that you figure that out. And, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's weird. <laughs> so um, it's been interesting. I, I mean, I've got, it's been good. You know, it's been good for the family. I, I often teach night classes because I teach a lot of grad classes. And so just with little kids around to not have to do that is nice. And to just be yeah. a little more freed up, you know, to travel a little bit. We've been doing these mini vacations and nice. um, I've got a, bunch of projects going right now yeah. so i'm juggling quite a lot still but it 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 feels nice i feel a little bit like i'm back in phd dissertation mode oh. which is mm. both fun and also kind of overwhelming so <laughs> sure so so what's Man. some of that uh get things done side of it that that's going on yeah well i'm i've been working on a long-term project on the doctrine of sanctification all right Interesting. And, yeah. and kind of rethinking it. I, I, I've my I have some instincts. I've had some instincts for several years that that we have just kind of butchered that doctrine up pretty badly. And so right. I've been thinking about it for well over a decade now. But now we're in the meat of really kind of wrestling through it. I, I'm co-authoring a book on it right now. And so 
it's um i've been just neck deep in all sorts of stuff which it's been a blast but it yeah. <laughs> it's a lot when you yeah. when you do something constructive like that where you have you know 2000 plus years of reflection on it as well to kind of wrestle through it it ends up being quite a lot that's yeah, exciting that's is that going to be another kyle jamin joint or do you have someone else on that one no so that one is is going to be co-authored with my friend kent eilers who's at huntington university um baker academic approached us several years ago to ask us to um, edit a series on salvation mm. that'll probably be five or six volumes and and then um basically asked us if we'd be interested in co-writing one of them so we're doing the sanctification volume for that series and so that's been that takes up most of my time these days. There's there's that's quite exciting. a lot of stuff that goes into that. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Wow. Um, but it, it it has tentacles that reaches into all sorts of other areas. That, and so it's sure you know there's been a lot of talk these days about virtue, about formation, and yeah. kind of habit formation. And some of those questions get get really close to it. So it, it's been fun to wrestle with that. Yeah, I mean, it, there's so much there that you could go into. I. I always have this like feeling with with sanctification like is what we're missing doctrinal or like practical working it out or some mixture of both like because they affect each other it's mm. it, that's what's hard about it it's like it feels sometimes that we can teach all this stuff about sanctification and what it means and define it and go to the passages and you know talk about mm. god working in us and philippians 3 and all this kind of thing and but then like when it comes to actually living it, we expect to, I don't know, learn our way to holiness. Mm. Yeah, totally. No, I do think it is both. I, I think the the theoretical stuff we, we've butchered pretty badly, mm. and that has mm. led to really bad practical material. Wow. Man. Wow. I'm excited. I'm excited to hear more. Yeah, this, that sounds like another episode. Drop. Um, yeah, yeah, that yeah, is totally. another. I can't wait for that. Uh, <laughs> but it is also a nice introduction to your uh, you're in John's book, uh, When Prayer Becomes Real. Um, I'm sure you've talked uh, to other folks about this. Just briefly, what was the inception between you and John with this particular um, project? Because these projects, I don't imagine, you don't write a book like this briefly. So what, uh, what made you decide to commit to this project? Yeah, well, well, this was an interesting one because I, I I do do an unusual amount of co-writing. <laughs> yes, I love it. Um, <laughs> so that's that. Not a lot of people do that, and I, the ones who do, I think the the thing that I do that's pretty unusual is I've actually had a lot of a lot of co-writers. So this is you know five or six people I've I've written with now. And what was interesting about this one is John is my mentor. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, so that 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 kind of adds a whole interesting kind of dimension to it, and so. You know, we we discovered years ago that we had very similar stories, hmm. even though I grew up in the church and he didn't. He became a Christian much later. Hmm. Um, hmm. His girlfriend led him to Christ, who's now his wife, when he was a senior in high school. Huh. Wow. And and yet we both ended up having very similar early Christian experiences. And the big difference perhaps between our two stories is that I had him come into my life and kind of, you know, speak some things into my life in a, in a way that he never had. Um, and so, so that was interesting. So, you know, for both of us, when we talked about writing together, this one was really obvious. This is something he has been talking about for 30 years. It's something I've been talking about for the best of 15 years. And, and so, and because he influenced me, I, I kind of knew where he stood. I knew where I stood and I knew they meshed very well. And so it was, it was a pretty obvious place to go in many ways. This has been 
one of the core messages that he and I both give. Like when when we're when we're speaking about something, we almost can't help ourselves. We're gonna end up talking about prayer. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is, it's not because either of us love prayer necessarily, and are find ourselves good at prayer naturally, <laughs> right? You know, we're the guys who who prayer has always been the thing we turn to last. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. we study first. We yeah. we you know, and um, I get that. We we both kind of realized that the more we learned, the more degrees we earned, the more books we read, the less we prayed. Ooh. Interesting. Yeah. And so that that <laughs> really led us into an interesting journey to to grapple with what what on earth is that about? Yeah, that is. Something I was thinking about too with thinking about this book because you mentioned that like the the tension and the tendency of someone who is in deep study to kind of lean into the knowledge side of things and it seems like simultaneously maybe because it doesn't fit or doesn't feel well away from the prayer side you can just study your way into it and um, you could have let it just be that way right so many people live that way and that's just what it is. They struggle with it. But it feels like you guys had a passion that something important is on the line in our prayer lives that you wanted to dig into this. And I wondered if you could speak into like what what's on the line here in our prayer lives that made this feel like such a vital topic to not just, you know, kind of do the church answer of, okay, you know, we get it, et cetera, et cetera. But to really say, no, like, there's there's something we really need to learn about our prayer lives and dig in. Well, I I mean I think central to it was it became very clear to us in our studies actually that that prayer was fundamental, and that prayer wasn't just kind of one topic among many, mm. um, but that it was a, the kind of lifeblood of every spiritual practice we give ourselves to, and so if our prayer lives kind of flail, that that actually is pointing to a deeper problem. Mm. That there is, there is something that has gone wrong, and we are in in many ways we are avoiding God by by trying to turn Him into something we can contain with our ideas. Wow, Ooh. that is very convicting. Just hearing you say that one one sentence, <laughs> yeah, man, yeah, that sounds like what we were talking about with Chesterton just yesterday. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And kind of as a as an overview. Do you, in your studies and in your observation and being at, you know, being a professor, have you seen any common misconceptions in Christianity as it relates to prayer? Mm, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what's hard about this, uh, there's a ton. What's hard about them, though, is they're almost all implicit rather than explicit. Mm, Okay. And by that, I mean, if, if you ask someone, you know, give me, you know, what is prayer about? You know, most people are going to have really, you know, reasonable things to say. I mean, you could have asked me in the midst of my prayerlessness to give a theology of prayer, and I could have probably done a pretty reasonable, right. you know, and it probably would have sounded pretty profound. And, and that's the problem. You know, one of the things that happens in prayer is in, in prayer, to borrow the language of the book of Hebrews, is we are drawing near. Hmm. And it turns out our kind of hearts know what happens when you draw near to God. And, you know, mm. one of the things that happens when you draw near is you come out of yourself. And you kind of see this with Jesus. You know, whenever Jesus kind of interacted with folks, they just kind of spilled out of themselves and they kind of leaked their true selves mm. mm-hmm. for, for better or for worse. It was often for worse. And 
And so the, the, the issue then becomes when you pray, why are we so surprised that the truth of our hearts comes out? Huh. And it comes out as mind wandering. It comes out as falling asleep. It comes out as, you know, meditating on why the Lakers are so terrible this year. <laughs> you know, it, it, whatever, you know it's, it, it just leaks out of us because in the presence of God, the, the kind of treasures of our heart are laid bare. Hmm. And instead of saying, oh, wow, God, look at this. This is what you want to talk about. We think that what's happening is that God wants us to get our act together. We feel guilty because we think we're bad at prayer because our mind's wandering. And so what ends up happening is what becomes a fundamental axiom of our book is that prayer is not a place to be good. It's a place to be honest. Mm, yeah. Yes. And the second we think it's a place to be good, like if I were going to name one, like one thing that we've gotten wrong is that we've, we've believed most of the time implicitly that what prayer is, it's a place to show God that we're good. Mm. And, mm. and if you believe that at any mm. level, you simply won't pray. And, and prayer will be dry as dust. It will be boring and, and you will avoid it at all costs. Or you'll turn prayer into a place to kind of pray for others very quickly. Or you'll pray enough not to feel guilty, perhaps. Mm, sure. Mm. So, Kyle, that Man. makes me think like there's, there's, there are some clear, obvious difficulties and, and problems that would come up with that. But just kind of, kind of go a little bit deeper on that. Like what is – what's really on the line? What are we – what are we giving up and, and what are we, I guess, also like negatively taking on when we either actively or passively live in that manner? Well, what, what ends up happening is you're not giving yourself to God. Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're not giving yourself to be known. I mean, one of the if you read the Psalms, one of the interesting words that shows up over and over and over again is the psalmist claiming that that his having a faith is proven by the fact that he takes his refuge in God. Mm -hmm. And if you aren't actually coming to God in the truth, what you're really doing, it, and this is inevitably what happens if you think prayer is a place to be good, is you won't come in the truth, and instead you'll send your avatar to pray. Oh, wow. Hmm. I, I love that, uh, that concept in the book. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, it, I remember thinking of that image, and it was like, this is helpful because this is exactly what I do in prayer so yeah. often. It's, and it's amazing how easy it is to fall back into. Still, it's it's what we do when we go to church oftentimes, yeah. right? Oh, it's the cliche yeah. of the the family fighting in the car on the way there, and then they get out with smiles on their faces, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's <laughs> totally unrelatable. God. Who could possibly relate to that? <laughs> Well, yeah. And uh, so for kind of the person who's uh, the academic or the intellectual who really finds a lot of value in, you know, the research and the study mm -hmm. and just kind of being real, really in that world and they love it and they see it as connection with the Lord. Um, but sometimes I know, at least for me, I've had certain experiences where I start to feel like my prayer is 
in a, a one-sided conversation mm. because I've, I've gotten so practical with everything that it's like, if I start praying, well, I know nobody's going to actually viscerally say anything to me. Mm. So then it almost kind of loses its value or kind of feels, even though you'd never say it starts to feel a little purposeless. Mm. Um, so a person who might be thinking that, um, how might you kind of reinvigorate their mind to say, hey, what you're doing is fine, but you're still missing, you know, a, a, a completely richer side of your Christian walk? Yeah, well, and this is where I think um, that's a great question. And there, there's so much in there. You know, one of the funny things what Scripture does is, is kind of comical almost at this point when the the kind of result of the claim that God knows what you need before you even ask <laughs> is tell him everything then. And that's very mm. counterintuitive. Yeah, like you right? would actually think it'd be like, well, then why bother? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <Got it>. exactly. <laughs> if he already knows, yeah, like, he knows what I need. And it's interesting that scripture sees that differently. And I think one of the things that'll happen, and you see this again with the Psalms, is, is when we realize prayer is not a place to be good, when we realize it's not a place to primarily kind of inform God of things he might not be aware of, mm -hmm. then suddenly we're freed up to just kind of allow the truth of ourselves to come to bear. And, you know, I think one of the things that, that happens when we do that is our prayers will very quickly st start sounding like the Psalms, actually. And if you read the Psalms, it's fascinating to see what they do. Right. Yeah. And I, I think I was I was meditating recently on um, on Psalm seventy three. Man, what a! I have these experiences still where I'll read a psalm as if I've never read it before. It's like I must have read this psalm a hundred times. How have I never noticed this before? But mm. in Psalm seventy three, the psalmist is clearly guilt ridden because he's looking at unbelievers and he's thinking that they have a pretty great life, mm. mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's kind of yeah. jealous. He's kind of envious, you know. And he says at one point in the psalm, it wasn't until I came into your sanctuary yeah. that I saw their end. And it, it was almost as if this kind of gestalt happened where suddenly, only in the presence of God, only kind of face to face with the presence of God, was the psalmist able to see, what am I doing? I'm not looking clearly. I'm being <laughs> so short-sighted in my judgments. Like a, why? And it it's in prayer then when we begin to wrestle through the truth. And I think once we realize that prayer is not a place to be good, it's a place to be honest. And we start naming what we're honest about. Mm. Yeah. You know, suddenly it becomes very clear what God wants to, to kind of pull out of our hearts. There's a kind of illumination that occurs in the presence of God mm. that we often treat as if we're being bad at prayer. Mm. Right? It's like, what did your mind just wander to? Like, why don't you pay attention to that, right? Like, that's, there's, there's significance to why your heart is grabbing onto those things. You know, it's funny, like, um, there's, there's a great um, modern kind of classic on, on the spiritual life, and it talks about prayer in it. And one of the things he says on prayer is, you know, no one's mind wandered when the Titanic was sinking. <laughs> and it's a funny kind of line where he's yeah. like, but, but why? Like, why don't my kids, when they're, asked, when they're telling me what they want for Christmas, why doesn't their mind wander? He says, it's because they're, they're speaking the treasures of their heart. It's like your mind wanders in prayer because you're trying to say what you think you ought to say. Wow. You're, you're not actually accessing the truth. 
And so when once we start accessing the truth, then suddenly we realize to our surprise in a lot of ways is, wow, I had no idea what I really wanted. I had no idea how disappointed I was in God. I had no idea how deeply envious I was, how angry I am. Mm -hmm. like, these things begin to come to the service and prayer just becomes a totally different sort of thing. Wow. Yeah, I love that insight on our mind wandering really shows us what we want and we don't need to hit pause or like mute the phone and walk away from God for <laughs> a second and talk to ourselves. And get like, our performance ah, back up. Come yeah. on, yeah. Come on, bad self. It's not a not a place to be good, but a place to be honest. I, I love that paradigm. I, I have a question about it though, because it's it's such an interesting thing to try to live. Because mm. basically, what you're telling me is, I need to come to. I, I have this book on prayer that I bought ostensibly to fix my prayer life. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and the first thing it tells me is, well, the, you, you, need to, you need to come to your prayer life, and the way you're going to mm. fix it is by not trying to fix it. So how do we do that? How, how do we read a book on yeah. prayer without trying to fix our prayer life? Yeah, well, I think, you know, this is where I, I, one of the things that has convinced me on the more theoretical side of things is that one of the problems we've had is we've misconstrued prayer in general. Mm. Like when people think about prayer, they don't have a Christian notion of prayer. Like we, we think of prayer as an act that everyone who's religious does and probably a lot of atheists, if we're honest, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's just an act. But Christian prayer is just fundamentally different than anything else that goes under the name of prayer. Hmm. And, and the reason it's different is that God, we're told in Romans 8, one of the greatest, most life-giving verses you'll ever read is when you're told that God looks at you and he says, you don't know how to pray. Hmm. Right, like right away, that's encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> right away, go oh, okay, good, because I know okay, I don't know how to pray. <laughs> All right, pictures <laughs> off on that one. At least we're on the but, same page. Yeah, totally. But then he says, "Well, what does God do about it?" He says, "So He sends His Spirit to pray for you." Yeah, I mean, that's astonishing yeah. that God looks at you and goes, "Okay, this person does not to pray." And so he sends the Spirit into the depths of your soul, and there we're told the Spirit cries out with groanings too deep for words. Yeah, it's a really interesting yeah. text. Yeah, fascinating. We're also told that Jesus always lives to intercede for us, uh -huh. which means for the Christian, prayer isn't something we begin. It's not something we create or generate in any way. It's something we enter. Hmm. Because prayer is already going on for you. The Son is already praying for everything you need. The Spirit from within you is already holding up and groaning all the truths that you don't even have access to, wow. all the areas of your brokenness, all the areas of your struggle, all of it. And so suddenly, and it's it, the funny thing is, and it's because you don't know how to pray. Wow. And so think about what God's response would be if, if, Instead of embracing that truth and entering into the prayer he's already established, we try to kind of look for new prayer technologies to make it better or to fix it. Or to <laughs> Wow, yeah. I mean, it, it really changes everything to think about we are just entering into a Trinitarian communion of prayer over our lives and selves that matter to God already. That's right. It's already going on. That's right. That's, that's mm -hmm. wild. So I guess kind of piggybacking off that idea, you talk about this in the book, like how we are we are children of God and we're beloved. Mm. Um, you don't necessarily 
spend the time in the book to deal with this, but I'm just wondering, just personal insights, how did we get that broken view of ourselves? Is that bad theology? Is that 20th and 21st century culture kind of breaking in on us? Is that just not being very thoughtful and slowing down and actually thinking about the things that we hopefully truly believe and not letting it affect it? Like, where did that broken view of ourselves in relation to God, like God created us, he, he put a value on us. He, he calls us his beloved children, but we don't practically see ourselves that way frequently. So like, how did we get there? And what are maybe some practices or reflections that we can do to kind of make some progress on that? Yeah, well, I mean, this is just the fundamental human problem. I mean, when you when you read the Genesis 3 text and you see the kind of entrance of sin into the world, one of the, the very obvious things that comes out is that, you know, Adam and Eve, after sin enters the world, are no longer able to live in the presence of God and see that as a good. That the presence of God is something to manage and manipulate. It's something to hide from, mm. quite literally, right? Mm. Now, in the, the presence of God awakens guilt, shame, and fear, and anxiety. Well. So that's exactly what it does for us. And so when we pray, we're trying to be good. We're trying to clothe ourselves, right? We're, wow. we're trying to kind of generate value. And, you know, the Christian tradition has always recognized that the great temptation is what we used to call the Pharisaic one. It's moralism. It's if I can clothe myself in goodness, then maybe then I can, I can actually stand on my own two feet. The, the, the kind of profound reality of the gospel. And I do think in modernity in particular, we've really made an error where we've come to think that we can define ourselves or generate a self in our own power. Yeah. Okay. Which is just absolute death. And our culture is just kind of bearing witness to, to its death. Yes. Um, the, the suicidality rates, the, I mean, it's, yeah, that it is, you know, to borrow a, wow. a kind of Kierkegaard line, it's it is the path of despair. Wow. The, the the good news is that you aren't you. In fact, you are you only insofar as you stand before Jesus. Wow. And that's when you discover who you are, and that your identity and your value comes from without. It's hidden in Him, as Paul says in Colossians three. Wow. So so what you're saying is we're trying to, as a culture in general, we we are trying to own. And under our own authority, create and define through this kind of existentialist project, our own identity, and we are failing and we are dying as a people. That's right. Yeah, yeah. We are. And we're not we just dying. Like we despair. are. Like you said, like we are committing that spiritual suicide. Like God has, mm-hmm. God has breathed life into us, elected to put that value on us, and we're saying like, no, like I'm going to do this. And like mm-hmm. severing ourselves from it practically. Totally. And it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's, it is so the air we breathe that even in the church, Christians just assume this is just true and part of the good news. Yeah. Dang. And it's not, it's, it's the worst possible news you could ever, the idea that you have to generate a person and uphold yourself in your own power is absolute death. And, and yet, we we actually think it's life giving, and we actually think it's good news. And then we hear the good news, and it sounds like bad news to us. Mm. Right? That's yeah. that's the real tragedy. Yeah. Is we hear that we hear you are you, not, your, you're own. not your own. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, that's, and we're and like, we wait, what? That's that's, that's harmful. 
Totally. Yeah, it, it feels that way. And again, in our culture, it, it does feel the gospel will feel like bad news. It'll feel like, well, it'll feel exactly like Jesus said it would. If you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if, if you lose it for my sake, you will find it. Mm. And that's the reality of the good news is, is if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. And that's, unfortunately, a lot of people still treat the church and Christianity in general, and even spirituality in general, it's, it's still kind of mechanism of trying to save their lives. Oh. They, they haven't yet embraced the truth that it's, no, it's, it is the path to losing your life so you can find it. It's not for losing your life. It is for finding it. <laughs> but, but the path to finding it, it's a death and resurrection path. Mm. In the book, you, you say, um, it wasn't until you saw what you were doing in prayer and realized how much of it had become wrestling with yourself and, and are wrestling with our own guilt. You say you were finally able to receive the good news of prayer. I love that phrase. Can you talk a little bit about like the good news of prayer. What is the good news that we're missing in prayer and that, that we need to hear? Yeah, well, the, the good news stems from the fact that, that God has called us into the praying that he is doing mm. so that we don't, even if we never utter a word, everything has already been said. And therefore, I don't have to perform in this place. I don't have to kind of do a song and dance to prove that I'm I'm a good little boy in prayer. <laughs> I don't mm. have to, I don't, you know, I can flail about and it's okay. I could come without words at all and it's okay. The the goal of prayer is to draw near to my heavenly father. Mm. Mm. And and part of that good news is that I don't pray in my name. Mm. I pray in the name of another. And so my value and status and goodness didn't give me entrance to this place. It was Jesus's that gained me entrance. It's I have access in him and by him. And so because I can pray in the name of another, the good news is I don't, I don't have to perform here. I don't have to create something. Hmm. And that's, I feel like that's especially good news with all of the, the active and passive messages we're getting like culturally and spiritually, like yeah. it's the, I mean, we talked about the Trevor, I think alluded a little bit, like in our episode with Alan Noble, like the individualism and the effort, like, and that's, that, that's where the enemy thrives, right? Like with twisting the truth, like mm -hmm. effort is important, but mm -hmm. like our effort isn't what makes us acceptable or beloved. Like, uh, we all have children here. Like our mm. children's effort isn't what makes us love them. Like we want them to put an effort towards like obeying and mm. being a part of the family and being kind and like doing the good things we want them to do and instruct them to do. But like their effort and success, hopefully, is is not what makes them beloved to us, right? Mm. That's right, yeah. man. And and to think about like what you're just saying, I, I I'm just trying to meditate on this you don't have to perform there and what it, what that means and and to some extent what it feels like it means is belonging right like mm. we going back to the identity thing we're so keen on trying to find our identity and then based on the identity that we've created for ourselves can we find a community that accepts us where we belong in that identity, right? Where we can work for our rights to be in that identity and our and and our and find our true selves and our expression with this community. And it's almost like God is calling us to rest 
from all of that and Mm -hmm. saying like he already made a beautiful identity in his image in us and that when we find our rest in Christ and what he's accomplished on the cross for us, that we find that we belong in his presence. Mm, That's crazy. Yeah. 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 That's right. And it's, it's, you know, it's not just any identity either, right? It's, it's child, mm. right? It's, you know, it, it's one of the things that is often missed is that the, the fundamental metaphors and those fundamental images of salvation, they are grounded upon the eternal identity of the, of the triune God, that Jesus has eternally been the son of the Father. And the image of adoption is that Jesus has broken open his sonship so that we can share in the sonship he has before the Father. This is John 17. Mm -hmm. At the end of John 17, at the high priestly prayer, Jesus doesn't pray, Father, love them. He prays, love them with the love with which you loved me. Wow. The, The Father's eternal love of the Son, that love has been broken open for us. And the identity we have now, we share because we share in Christ. As, as the ancient church used to say, what Christ has by nature, we receive by grace. Yes. He has sonship, and we receive sonship and adoption. Wow, that is beautiful. Yeah. And so, so what, what do we pray? We pray our Father, right? <laughs> yes. Amen. So, Kyle, I'm curious. This book has been out a little, actually almost just over a year. Congratulations, actually, in the year anniversary <laughs> of when prayer becomes yeah, real. Yeah, I'm yeah. curious about feedback, like both positive and maybe critical. Like, have you had any feedback that maybe challenged you and made you think about some things? Or what are some things mm-hmm. that encourage your heart as like an instructor and someone trying to encourage the church in the world? Talk to us about some of uh, the feedback you've gotten on this project. Yeah. You know, I've been so encouraged. Um, I, I haven't heard any critical feedback yet. That doesn't mean it's not out there. <laughs> this no, hasn't that's been great. I, mean, I didn't have any, um, any notes for you necessarily, but I mean, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, it's you know, the, the cool thing about it, because I mean, it's one of the things that I've loved hearing from folks was just how it immediately changed how they prayed. Mm. And talking to to folks who realized, and the thing I'd say I probably hear most often is, I I'm taking my time. I was I was going to just kind of fly through it, and then suddenly at the end of every chapter, you have me doing, you have me actually praying. So now I've got to pause and actually go and pray. You know, I, I've loved the people have kind of given themselves to that, and it's it has been really encouraging to hear how how many folks have said. I just didn't even see how much of my prayer life was kind of talking to myself wow. or how much of my prayer life was me just trying to be good. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the, you know, when we, when we thought about writing the book, I sat, we, one of the, the thing that we probably did for the longest is we, pro- we thought about why another book on prayer. Yeah. There's a million books on prayer. True. And so I kind of started jotting down, like, what does a good book on prayer have to have? Like, in my mind, like, what would a good book on prayer do? And I thought, well, it has to be theoretical, right? I'm a theologian. Mm-hmm. The theory matters, right? We, we, it needs to be theoretically rich because we have to give a distinctively Christian account of prayer. But the problem is then you could find books that do a decent job of that. But then it also has to be practical because if it's just theoretical, then it's not actually going to help you pray. Yeah. <laughs> and that seems absurd. 
But I, what we found is almost every book we could think of did chose to do one of those two things. And there's kind of an elite group that did them both. But then the third thing that we thought was necessary and fundamental that just so rarely ever happens is we, it really had to be existential. And, and what we meant by that is when you're reading it, you, you're, you're, you, we wanted to be like a mirror to you. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of going, wow, how do they know that happens when I pray? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of that is I've read really great books on prayer, but at the end of it, I'm not entirely sure that the author had ever, had ever prayed. Yeah. I'm how, sure they did. How would you prove? But how would you know? Like, yeah. But in, until someone begins to talk about the reality of prayer, like if I'm reading a book on prayer and it doesn't talk about why my mind wanders, then I'm just going to put it down because huh. my mind wanders a lot when I pray. Like, yeah. like if, it, if it doesn't talk about the fact of, of the struggle of prayer, and what we found is very few books actually kind of attended to those things. And I've been I've been really pleased with how many people have, by hearing our, and I kind of realized at, um, earlier in my life that I'm at my most relatable where I struggle the most. Mm-hmm. I, I've kind of learned that in my preaching. And I think when I, when I, when, when we kind of share, you know, John's story about, trying to hit a pause button when he was praying and just talking to himself and, and then realizing like God was still there. Like the pause, <laughs> there's no pause button. Like God's going, I'm right here. Why are you talking to yourself? Talk to me about this. Right. Uh-huh. Um, or, you know, John has a funny image where he'll say like, wouldn't it be weird if I went home to my wife and I was, you know, sharing stuff with her and, and she wasn't responding the way I thought she was. And I just started saying, are you there? Are you even hearing me? Of course I'm here. I'm hearing you. What are you talking about? Because we do that with God all the time. Uh-huh. Like when God doesn't do what we want, we then start trying to generate the response we want. And I, I kind of came to realize that the problem is that most of us struggle in prayer in ways that we can't even see ourselves. Right. And so we actually need to be shown. And so that, that's been really cool to hear the stories of folks who've said, you know, I didn't, I had no idea that, you know, my, when I went to pray that the first thing that happened is that God rolled his eyes Hmm. and I didn't, I didn't even know I, I, I had, I was ushering this in with me. Hmm. And so right off the bat, I was trying to show God that I'm valuable. Hmm. Um, Or the, one of the verses that you know, this happens when you write a book is, is sometimes these verses kind of pop out at you in ways they never have before. And they become these kind of like, you know, central verses of the book. But yeah. one of the verses that really became fundamental was First um, John 3, 19 and 20. And that, that, that verse is so interesting because John, you know, writing to Christians, obviously, he says, you know, when you are before him, so you're, you're drawing near, you're in the presence of God and your heart condemns you. Yeah. And I remember just stopping and saying, why does John think my heart's going to condemn me in God's presence? Like that alone is fascinating. But then what I thought was so interesting is is when you stop and then think about, because I know that in prayer, but I never said my heart's condemning me. I said, God's condemning me. Mm. And so to hear folks kind of reflect back and, and just realize, like, I've done that. That's what I've been doing. 
And that that's what's just been so encouraging. I'm so encouraged to hear that, that this is being a vehicle by which folks can actually offer themselves more honestly and begin to talk about it and tell God. Because because even when I thought God was condemning me in prayer, I didn't say that to him. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I didn't say, oh, yeah, God, sure. I, I think yeah. you might be condemning me, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the fact, I was going to ask this, I think you kind of answered it in there. The book is written kind of in these, you, you give the option of two paths at the mm, beginning. Yes. You kind of offer a practical, you know, jump to part two or, or read part one. And it was that kind of influenced by some of this decision that you're talking about, like trying to merge these these essentials that you wanted for the book. Yeah, you know, we we well, we kind of realized that for some people, they're they're so practically minded. We didn't want them to get kind of bogged down in the early material if it was feeling just kind of like they're trudging through it. We wanted them to give a little bit of a deeper flavor. So if they wanted to jump right to the kind of practical section, great. But then we encourage them, go back, Mm -hmm. read the first section, do that while you're practicing. But I I do worry at times when, when, you know, as a theologian, I I, I think a certain way about things, of course. So I like to start with the theoretical material because the practical should flow right out of that. But I also am just very aware that that the average Christian doesn't think that way. Like that, they don't, they don't, yep. that, that's not, you know, a part of their normal diet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we really didn't, we didn't want people to get like, cause you know, our goal was, and we went back and forth with whether we should write a study guide for the book. Mm. And, you know, we, we hesitated cause you know, for us, the, the end isn't, we hope you do, you know, you read the book, we hope you learn something new. We think you will. But that's not the goal. The goal is that you right. take what you're learning and you learn how to talk to God about it in a deeper way. Yeah. And so the turn to kind of prayers and how can we shepherd people in prayer, like that really became the emphasis and and, and that we, we wanted to kind of model something and we're we've been encouraged with how many folks have said, I've read this in a group and it's, you know, and, and it's the first time I've kind of been able to listen and hear and be with other Christians in this. You know, it's amazing how, how fundamental prayer is. Most Christians are totally unknown in their prayer lives by other Christians. That's true. And most Christians have, there's no one else that knows what they struggle with in prayer if prayer is difficult or easy for them, if, you know, like they just, that never comes up. And so it's one of those, it's American kind of the elephant in the room. You feel like, is that true in other Christian cultures or globally? I think it is pretty fundamental. I, I think there's other cultures that do a better job of, of kind of more corporate praying. Yeah. But then they, you know, people still go off and kind of pray on their own. Yeah. And, you know, it's not the same if you you have like a liturgy you're reading out of or anything like that. It doesn't really reveal your personal prayer with God. Yeah, that's right. And even, you know, with with any kind of like corporate liturgies or even just corporate prayers in general, you know, this is where and for me, the, the, the kind of early evangelicals were, you know, if you talk to an early evangelical, you know, 300 years ago, the 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 buzzword about prayer was to be watchful. Mm hmm. You know, Paul says it in Colossians, Peter refers back to it like we are to be watchful. And so Jesus says in the garden. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And part of what they were cultivating was the recognition that that in prayer there there is this necessary kind of watchfulness of myself and 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 what my heart's doing when I pray. And that that's actually even harder, I think, in corporate settings. Mm-hmm. And we tend not to do it. We tend to think that, you know, we can kind of 
ignore that and just try hard to focus. When I actually think corporately, we, we need to we need to actually probably do a better job of shepherding people into the nature of watchfulness. Hmm. Um, and then the more liturgical, the more explicitly liturgical a church is, the more that's going to be important to kind of do explicitly. I think, and unfortunately, I think they the, they also tend to fail the most at it. How do we? How do you do that? You just tell people. Yeah, like, I, was, hey, I was curious about that. Yeah. yeah. Hey, before we pray, like, hey, we're about to pray, like we always pray every Sunday right now. And, uh, but, but pay attention to where your mind goes, like maybe like that. <laughs> well, you know, well, I'll give you an example because our church does this. Yeah. Um, and, and John and I, you know, we've been influential, we've been influential on the kind of liturgy of our church. Um, but John more than I have. And it's with we start every church service with a prayer of intention. Hmm. And that's a prayer we talk about in the book, but in the prayer of intention we do corporately, the first thing you do is you just pause for a moment. You kind of recall what your where your heart has turned already that day, which, you know, right. for those of us with little kids, it's been all over the place. Mm-hmm. You talk about where your heart currently is with God, and then you actually intend to draw near to him. Hmm. And because without intention, what are we doing, right? I mean, it's you could be halfway through a church service before you even remember what, you know, your mind's still turning to things. You're, you're, you know, it's like, you know, you're trying, to yeah. get, you're trying to get there, you know, and, and that's, that's one way that we've done it is, is at the very beginning, we, we intend and we, we don't just intend, we, we intend only after we name the truth to God of God, my heart is far from you right now. My heart is all over the place. It's chaotic. I'm worried. I'm anxious. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the game later today. I'm, you know, what, whatever it is, like mm-hmm. we, we kind of recollect the truth so that we can offer ourselves in truth. Mm. And, and there just needs to be more of that done, I think. I mean, I think there's... Um, in a corporate setting, we need to kind of overdo that rather than underdo it. And right now we just don't do any of it. <laughs> this uh, just occurred to me, but um, I think this is very important now. Like uh, the book just came out. Obviously, you guys have been cooking this for a while. But I mean, what do you think the implications are for us as parents? Like it would be great if like we had this, like when all of us were very, very young. Mm-hmm. Like what are some thoughts as far as yeah. – I mean obviously just – explaining it a lot because that's not the culture. That's not, I think we both have the culture and our hearts and probably active spiritual warfare against us at this point. But mm-hmm. any thoughts on kind of cultivating this in our home and yeah. with our, with our young ones kind of hopefully setting a better foundation than we maybe had. Prayer as performance is an easy thing. It feels like to communicate <laughs> to a kid. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, my first thing I'll say might be counterintuitive, actually. Okay. But the first thing we have to do is we have to train our children to call to cultivate honesty with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because if they realize that Daddy can't handle my badness, mm. that mm-hmm. will just translate the to their yeah their heavenly Father. Um. And so they, they need to experience their badness in our presence in ways that is positive, huh. where, where they can be heard and not condemned, and they yeah. can be understood, right? Oh, man. But then they also need, and I think this is almost even harder than that, because I think for a lot of parents, prayer almost, it either becomes just something we're doing 
in the regular rhythm of life, or it becomes a place where we're kind of teaching them explicitly. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like we kind of pray and teach, and that's okay. Like that's okay to do. Like when, when you get the big family get together, and whoever the person oh. is praying is like, "Let me do a little theology lesson, that's and right. we're all ready to eat." It's like all right, we know, we get it. Or like, <laughs> totally. Oh, the conversation I constantly have with my oldest is like, "Hey, when you're when you're talking to God in prayer, like you, you pray to God, you don't just like literally tell Him." And then I did this and then I did this and then I did this like all the whole time at, you know, for 30 minutes during dinner, you know, (laughs) totally. Well, and I I think for what can be difficult is I think we have to actually model like daddy had a hard day. And so I want to pray and I, and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, and to, to the degree that they're capable of hearing and that would be good for them to hear Mm. and, and appropriate. How can I kind of show what it's like to talk to God? How can I confess my failures in prayer where they're hearing me? You know, I was angry today. I, I was frustrated. God, I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I took it out on the kids, you know, whatever it is, like where they can see like, wow, he's naming some things and it's okay. And I and I can be here in this, and that's okay. Like that, <laughs> we're we're suddenly now they're they're kind of able to see what this is, and that it isn't a place to be good. Wow. Whereas I think a, a lot of times we do end up modeling these these cleaned up prayers. Yeah, and that's you know again, it's not this is not every single prayer, of course, but like if if all they've ever heard are really cleaned up prayers. It's, it shouldn't surprise us that they're going to feel like they can't pray. Prayer is like what we are teaching them is that prayer is a performance and watch my That's performance. Right. Like, yeah. and performance, I prefer, like, mm-hmm. you don't have to tell your, your sons or your daughters, Hey, the way I'm doing it is the way you should be doing it. Like, that's right. Biologically as creatures, that's how God made us to like mm-hmm. learn and repeat behavior. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So good. One last question I have here is, and, and you've talked about it when you talk about uh, the prayers in the Psalms and kind of the mm. disorientation, reorientation, orientation, that kind of those, those three um, yeah, yeah. that you get from Brueggemann. Um, but, but in that, I, I, we've talked about lament here on the podcast before. And so I was wondering, how does lament fit into these, these forms of prayers, thinking about prayer becoming real, being honest before God, where does lament fit into all of that? Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because I think, you know, I'm so happy that there has been a recovery of lament in the last several years. Yeah. The problem though, is if we don't recover a more kind of fundamentally Christian version of prayer, the average Christian can't lament in prayer. Hmm. If you're trying to be good and you lament, like <laughs> you're just gonna, it, your conscience will start paying. It'll just feel like God can't hear this. God doesn't want to hear this. Yeah. And, and so lament is a part of this broader picture of being honest, where we name the truth, and we name the truth not abstractly, but the truth is we experience it, mm-hmm. and because we're naming mm-hmm. what is actually in our hearts. Yeah. Even if um, what we experience it isn't strictly maybe true right totally you, you talk about yeah, that yeah. happening in the psalms well, for too. sure yeah that's right when the psalmist says god why have you forsaken me that doesn't mean god is necessarily kind of abandoned that person right yeah. it's, they're, they're kind of narrating their experience and it's interesting how the psalms will ask god these things 
and it's done kind of conversationally with God. You know, this has really come up for me lately. You know, um, Talbot, the seminary where I teach, we have an extension site in Ukraine. Mm. And, you know, I, I lament and imprecate, and, you know, it's, yeah. you know, you, you, you are pouring out the truth before God and, and there is an important training going on there. You know, it's, I, I think Psalm 139 is an actually a really interesting modeling of this. Yeah. I, I think so many people love that Psalm, but I think we love it for the wrong reasons. Mm. Like I loved it and I memorized the beginning and the end. And I just kind of skipped the part in the middle because it made me uncomfortable as a young Christian. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it turns out that's the whole purpose of the Psalm. Like it, it is so in the middle, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's why it's there. And this is the body of the text. That's right. The, the whole th- is like, well, what's going on there? You know, we like the beginning part because it sounds sweet. It's like, oh, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And, you know, all these. And really, the first half is anxiety, you know, induced. Like it's, it's just infused with worry. It's like, I can't hide from you, basically. Mm-hmm. Everywhere I go, you're there. If I go down to shale, you're there. Like this person's trying to hide from God because of what is in their soul. Then they just unleash it. God, I want you to kill these people. Mm. And then the psalmist pulls back a bit. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know every anxious thought. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Like mm. the psalmist now is pulling back saying, God, this, it, it's not mine to judge. It's yours. You know, God. I, I want you to kill them. <laughs> like, yeah. That's in my heart. But God, this is not, this is yours. And yet it's interesting that scripture, I mean, you know, we are actually commanded in scripture to be angry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's not side. get angry. It's a passive imperative. So it, it assumes you are angry, yeah. which may be more interesting. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's this this reality of we actually have to take our anger. We, we can't just ignore it. We have to do something with it. And it turns out when we bring it into prayer, suddenly they're anger can be kind of, it can be transformed into something else. Hmm. And I actually share in the book an experience I had of being kind of viciously attacked online for things I don't believe. And <laughs> totally is, unrelatable nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine <laughs> yeah. on the internet? Wow. <laughs> and I remember I was so angry. It was probably the first time someone did that where they actually tagged me. Mm. Oh, that's And I think that really set me off. And it was like, I was putting my kids to bed. I was, you know, I was, it was, it was like, a, you know, one of those <laughs> perfect brain, storm scenarios. Your brain is wired like, ding, you have a notification. You're like, this is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> and so suddenly, like, I was furious. And so, you know, I, I stopped and I was like, you know what? I, I'm just going to go right in prayer. And I went in prayer. I just told God exactly what I wanted to do to this person, exactly how I wanted to eviscerate them online, exactly how I wanted to, to not only eviscerate them online, but to publicly humiliate them. And, and you know, by the end of that prayer, all that anger had dissipated. Mm-hmm. And I was praying, you know, God, I don't know why this person needs to do this and why I am the kind of, you know, agent of their venom right now. Like, I, I don't know why that's happened. I, and actually, maybe they need me to be evil right now in their life. Hmm. Like maybe wow. that is actually a good. And and you know, God, it's not it's not my call to defend myself. That's not what you've called me to do. And and I was like, wow. Like normally, I would have felt bad for being so angry. 
I would have felt guilty for that. I would have shoved it down. I would have moved on. Yeah. I would have tried to like you just and, yeah press it on down like trying to ignore that's it. That's right. And it just becomes toxic. Yeah. Whereas in this, it was it it the Lord turned my anger into empathy mm. and into grace and mercy. And and that's so that's miraculous you know, grace right there. That, that's, that's exactly the right. Grace. That's exactly right. Wow. And that's Man. what these things can do when we, when we bring them to the Lord and we draw near in the truth. Um, that that's the only place where we could be transformed. It turns out in the presence of God. Yeah, I Man. appreciate you sharing that. We're, we're so Very grateful for practical this book. And it's, <laughs> yeah. you and uh, you and John's work already, even even though it's only a year old. That's I've I still need to finish the book, but I, I've been greatly encouraged by this. Before we let you go, Kyle wanted to ask you a substance shout out segment. If you remember here, would love for to have you share with the listeners what are some things that you've been enjoying or challenged by or found edifying or just things that you have um, enjoyed spending time on recently, whether it's watching or reading or listening to uh, or engaging in. I mean, different folks have different sorts of shout outs. What have, uh, yeah. what, are, what are some things you'd like to shout out here on your sabbatical? Well, you know what's been what I've just so enjoyed. So my my daughter's at an age, and my daughter's a real reader, and and you know I still read. Um, she's eleven now. I, I I'm I'm now able to read her at night, like books that are actually interesting. Yeah, which is a great change so fun. from those early days. Yeah. and I I read her the Wing Feather Saga. Yes. Which, if you haven't read, is delightful. And I've we're finishing up the final book of the Green Ember series, which is fantastic. Um, and you know, it's funny, both of those series are so rich. The Wing Feather Saga has this beautiful sub-theme throughout that you have to tell your story to kind of learn to walk through it rather than avoid the truth, and that you have to be named. That is so good. Hmm. And there's something that is really rich in that. Andrew Peterson did a wonderful job with that. And the Green Embers, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Green Embers. I don't know series. that. The Green uh, Embers is a different thing? Green Embers is a different thing. Yeah, it's about rabbits. Googling seriously. <laughs> and it, it, is, it is fascinating. And what's it is the age range-ish? Like if they're a mature kid, what's the age range-ish on the, uh, the Green Embers? You could probably say, I would say they're, you could start them earlier than Wing Feather Saga. Nice, perfect. Well, Wing I Feather will. Saga starts with some scary stuff off the bat. It's, it, sure, and it, I think it helps that they're rabbits too. It's not as kind of sure. you know that rather than little kids with his Wing Feather Saga, but yeah, it, it's you know similar sorts of themes like you get in a lot of the fantasy books where you know they're they're battling. There's you know dragons and there's wolves and you know they're you know but it's there's some it's it's beautiful prose actually. It's it's really well written, but it's. There's just some really rich material in there. And he's got these like side books as well, where there's like side stories or backstories or, you know, and um, I'm also reading my daughter, the the book of like, can't remember what it's called, but it's like tales from the, that world. So there are other yes. stories and he writes some of them. And there's some, so he's good. just been some really great stuff and it's, it's rich. It's lots of themes that can get you into some great conversations. Mm. Um, That's good. It's it, it he's creating actually quite a rich world for the <laughs> for that for for this age and so uh, you could probably begin if they're mature and probably 8 or 9 and up. Um, my my eleven year old has really loved it, um, nice. and and I I think earlier would, would be good. But that's I mean that's I'm gonna push the envelope with my wife and try. I'm so eager to get to some of the 
I, I love reading kids' books to my kids, but I can't wait for oh, some of the, the heavier stuff. I, I finally, uh, right as my uh, oldest was turning five, started getting them into uh, The Hobbit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and uh, the other day, my younger one, the uh, she was, was so three, sweet. she was like, Daddy, I don't like The Hobbit anymore. I don't, I don't want to. And then I was like, okay, well, we'll just try. So I start reading it, and immediately there's talking ponies. And she's, Daddy, I love The <laughs> Hobbit. <laughs> It's so <laughs> great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. Well, we will put the uh, the link for When Prayer Becomes Real in the show notes. But if folks want to follow you, website, Twitter, what you have in plug, or if you want to talk about a little bit about your uh, Christian Scholars Network as well, this is kind of the time for that. Yeah, well, um, yeah, Twitter, um, Instagram, I'm on. I'm not, I, I've never, I'm on Facebook, so I've never been great with social media. <laughs> So um, don't expect a lot from me there, but you can find some about me there. Certainly if you're interested in kind of keeping track and yeah, I, I just um, posted today the, the Christian um, scholars network, which is just Christian scholars network.com is a, um, it's a pretty cool thing. You know, it, it was started by a buddy of mine who's an academic who didn't end up getting a job in the academy and um, doing really serious work with, and he kind of realized that there's all these there's all these academics as well as people like me who also write books for the church and mm. who are just very limited by other things. Um, and sometimes it means you, you can't get an editor. Sometimes it means you need to um, pay for, you know, a, a trip or pay for copyright things. You know, it could mean any sorts of things, but he, he works for a company that runs non-for-profits. And so they started a non-for-profit where you can actually give um, directly to someone that, that is doing this kind of work. And so, it's a really like cool project. Early Patreon, basically. That's kind of right. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And so, um, for folks who who um, really you know recognize the kind of role books can have, um, and I'm I'm from an author family, and so I've I've gotten the the kind of behind the curtain glimpse into what books kind of can do and um, the the impact they can have in various ways. And so I, I'm you know, very invested in those sorts of things. So it's, it's a pretty cool project to be able to support folks doing that kind of work. Awesome. We'll certainly put that link in the show notes there. Love that. Well, Kyle, man, thank you for, um, the time, uh, once again, during your sabbatical and this book that you have co-authored, jumping on the co-author train yet again with, uh, <laughs> your professor and, and really more than a book, it's an invitation into a spiritual journey into experiencing the communion uh with god in prayer it's a it's a wonderful invitation and one that i hope as as we walk in it ourselves that our that our listeners will take up that invitation as well thank you yeah yeah well as as always so good being with you guys awesome have a great evening or afternoon (laughs) (laughs) whatever happens to be the case (laughs) awesome thanks Thank you for joining us for our conversation with Kyle Strobel. He had some great insights to share around prayer, Christian living, and what it means to really draw near to God and enjoy His presence and be honest with God and the truth of ourselves and our relationship with Him in prayer. Um, I hope that that is encouraging to you, that you find that to be a start of a journey. I'll probably be listening to this one again just to glean all the insights from it. 
If you want to go further to check out Kyle's book or any of the shout outs, the things that he suggested, all of those links are in our show notes. Also in our show notes is a link to our anchor support site. If you want to join the substance and support, uh, or if you wanted to leave us a virtual tip in our tip jar, that is the cash app. You can do so at dollar sign, the substance pod. Our website, thesubstancepod.com, has links to this episode and all of our contact information, our email and everything, all of our social media accounts. It's all on there. Philip keeps it nice and active on our social media, so uh, you can engage with us uh, at The Substance Pod on any of those places as well or comment uh, on the episode pages at thesubstancepod.com. 2022 is the year of the voicemail, so you can give us a call at 913-703-3883 and leave us your thoughts or feedback there. And if we really enjoy what you have to say, we may even put it on the show. The Substance Podcast is a bi-weekly Christian variety show hosted by me, Trevor, as well as Vincent and Philip. We thank you for stopping by this week, and we look forward to seeing you next time on The Substance. The Substance.